Marshall slides it around the rim. He's got Eichel, top of the left circle, closing in. He shoots, he scores! Jack Eichel, power play goal! Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Locke looks up, taps it back to Donov in the middle, he shoots, he scores! Jubilation! Vegas in overtime! Chevrolet, Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios, and live at LVSportsNetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. I got a treat for you coming up. Uh, we had the exclusive, uh, the first interview by Bruce Cassidy uh, yesterday on the VGK Insider Show as uh, we hooked up uh, for a little conversation ahead of his introduction today. Well, more first when it comes to Bruce Cassidy in just a second as he just made an appearance. Uh, I'm at City National Arena inside Studio 31. He just uh, did his first little bit of coaching uh, in Vegas. Mm. Uh, that's all uh, coming up, and that's happening just as we sit here. And uh, I didn't even have time to tell you guys uh, all about it. But uh, we've also got uh, the Stanley Cup final uh, underway. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche uh, opening up with a victory, and that continues to roll. How about there? record through uh now into the fourth round they've only lost twice so far in the stanley cup postseason so uh, they're going uh like crazy and uh, a trade today in the uh, national hockey league the vegas golden knights uh trading evgeny dodonov to the montreal canadians in exchange for the contract of shea weber uh, and uh, they will uh, put him on ltir long-term injury reserve uh and that will uh, allow them some salary cap flexibility with the Donna's $5 million uh, AAV uh, being sent over to Montreal. So there's a lot going on in this uh, in this second hour of the VGK Insider Show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Golden Knights are at least making the offseason interesting, the offseason for them anyway, uh, with the news of Bruce Cassidy, the trading of Evgeny Dodonov. And, you know, it's you live for weeks like this, right? Uh, maybe, maybe you hope that it happens after the end of the Stanley Cup final. Um, <laughs> in my case, I, I would like for there to be something going on after the the end of the Stanley Cup final. But uh, no, it's it's been really fun to have a lot of of meat to to chew on here this week with the announcements from Vegas. Uh, so Bruce Cassidy is here at City National Arena, and he stopped by. They've got the the playoffs in the uh, in the Vegas Junior Golden Knights, uh, the house league happening right now. So mm-hmm. he was invited by the Rockets to talk to the team before the game, and I thought I'd bring you some of that interaction. So you guys are going to be the first Golden Knights that he talks to. That he talks to. Bruce Cassidy, guys. Uh, I want to say hello. Uh, wish you guys luck. Make sure you have some fun out there. But most of all, um, don't play hard, play well. This is a semifinal, right? Big game today. All right, so you win this one. Well, that's what we want, right? We want to win championships, right? That's it. All right. Well, I'm, I'll be rooting for you. All right, so let's get it done. On three rockets, all right? Put your hands in. One, two, three. Let's get it done. 
Imagine that. Uh, you're going out there, uh, you're 12 years old or 13 years old, and you're showing up at uh, City National Arena for a big game, and in walks uh, Bruce Cassidy, the, the man of the week uh, around the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. So what a cool experience that is. Yeah, are you going to play that tape the next time you take the ice in, uh, in your men's league? Because I uh, think that might help you and your team. Could you imagine Bruce Cassidy giving my men's league team uh, <laughs> a, a, a little speech? It'd be uh, this, oh, the, this is the, the way great. that one would go. Uh, you guys, uh, that ointment, boy, there's a lot of ointment being used in here for uh, sore muscles. And it'd be you mm. guys. You guys all look way too old to be out here. All right, so try mm. and smile, have fun, don't lose by ten. That would that that would be the the pregame speech uh, to us, but uh, uh, Bruce wow. Cassidy with his first uh, first pregame <laughs> speech uh, for the for the kids and uh, and they get it. So the the players that uh, listen to the program, uh, that's what you got in store. But uh, lending himself uh, and uh, and making himself available to uh, to the community, that's outstanding. That's my favorite thing about hockey. It really is the the willingness and the understanding of. Players, coaches, everyone involved within organizations just giving back and and giving those moments because for the kids in that room, they're going to have that memory for the rest of their lives. And who knows if if one or two or three of them end up pushing well into – you know, college hockey or eventually the NHL, you, you kind of have those moments that, that build that love for the sport, that love for the game, and who knows where it can take them. Yeah, you, we all end up, whether you play in the National Hockey League or not, uh, in a uh, Thursday night uh, game at 10 o'clock somewhere, like it, uh, <laughs> when, when you're done. Uh, and, uh, yeah. the, and you look over and go, you know what, Bruce Cassidy once uh, talked to my, my peewee team uh, way back uh, mm-hmm. when. So uh, there you go uh, on the Bruce Cassidy front. Uh, I had a chance this morning to talk to Bruce Boudreau the coach of the Vancouver Canucks. But it wasn't to talk about the Canucks necessarily. It was for him to be, because he was with the NHL Network uh, before uh, Mm -hmm. joining the Canucks. Uh, So he was out for a year and wanted to lean on Bruce as an analyst uh, in his time as an analyst and uh, go through uh, what's happening in the Stanley Cup final. And then we ended up, as Bruce and I normally do, uh, off topic, uh, talking about some other things, but also got his... uh, assessment on what Bruce Cassidy is going through right now because Boudreaux has changed teams like Cassidy. He's done it really quickly, um, uh, almost overnight in, in one instance. So uh, he said, uh, walk me through it. It's like he's looking at a roster. He's talking to, to Kelly McCrimmon about what the roster will look like next year. He's looking at numbers. Uh, uh, he'll eventually get into to some tape and uh, some video. But right now he's just going through the names of the roster and uh, what lines were together and who played a lot and who, who put up points. And uh, he's just trying to get uh, comfortable uh, with with those those main that that main group uh, that uh, that we're used to watching this uh, this year. Now there's a lot of names there. It might take them a while uh, due to the injuries, but uh, it's uh, it's really that simple right now for Bruce trying to get involved uh, at the ground floor of the team that he's going to handle next year and uh, and what uh, what they look like. And then he gets into the meetings, which uh, uh, I'm sure uh, took place after his introductory news conference uh, today, uh, just regarding uh, different possibilities and, uh, and avenues that they could go, one of which 
I hope, is is Riley Smith just because of that trade today uh, involving Evgeny Dodonov, uh, and that's $5 million AAV, uh, an average salary uh, of the contract that, uh, that he signed with Ottawa before being traded to, to Vegas. Uh, so that, uh, that comes off the books for Vegas. And the salary that they get back in Shea Theodore, or sorry, sorry, uh, Shea Weber, uh, they get that back. Uh, that will go to long-term injury reserve, and uh, that won't count against the cap, providing you're at a certain point. Uh, so, so really, it's a it's a net gain, even though they take back two more uh, million. Uh, on the cap mm-hmm. compared to what they they send out, uh, that won't exist uh, because Weber is hurt. So uh, really looking forward to uh, seeing what they they do with that that money, uh, how they massage it. There's there's all kinds of uh, different players that need to be signed as as well. Uh, not like there's a 15 or anything, but there's there's a, a solid group of them uh, that we know and and. Uh, we know Nick Watt, uh, for sure, uh, has to be assigned to a new contract. So uh, there's th- this has been a, a very uh, positive and busy day for the general manager. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've we've talked about obviously the the ability to introduce your new head coach, but then to follow that up with a trade that opens up five million dollars in cap space for a team that is cast that is catch strapped going into the off season. That's huge for the Vegas Golden Knights. I, I, I'm with you in that I I want to see what corresponding moves happen over the next little while for the Vegas Golden Knights. How do you best utilize that money? What does a contract extension for Riley Smith realistically look like if that's an avenue that you want to explore? And to be frank, I think that that is an avenue the Golden Knights should explore. I, I think the best opportunity for Vegas to live up to their potential next season is to do so with Riley Smith still a part of this team. Yeah, Riley Smith is uh, slated to go to unrestricted free agency uh, after the National Hockey League draft. Uh, we'll see whether this uh, allows the freedom for the Vegas Golden Knights or whether they tackle their uh, restricted free agents first. But there's flexibility uh, where there was not yesterday. As as small as it is, it's uh, it's a positive uh, in the in the right direction uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. So when it comes to uh, the salary cap. Uh, now let's uh, get into uh, and I got to run sorry in a couple of minutes I apologize to you and everybody else but uh, I have a commitment that uh, has come up so I want to get into the Stanley Cup final before I head off mm. and then I'll, I'll leave you guys with yeah. that uh, Tampa Bay and Colorado did it live up to expectations last night with the overtime win for the Avalanche 4-3 so it was a good game. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought the Avalanche came out absolutely flying in the first period. They they put up three in that first period against the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and then Tampa did in the second period what Tampa always does. They see what an opponent's going to do. They try to take some things away. They hang in. They find a way to tie the game. And then from there, it was just whether or not Colorado could could capitalize on one of their chances before Tampa locked the game down and found a way to win. So uh, a lot to like on both sides, a lot to like from Tampa, a lot to like from Colorado. And hopefully, and I've said this a couple of times, hopefully it's a long series. I want it to go seven because it was really fun last night. I thought Tampa Bay uh, wasn't as uh, aggressive as we're used to uh, until they got down 
and then they had to, to push it a, a little bit and came up and, and, and made some plays. Uh, it looked like the enthusiasm uh, of, of Colorado being in the Stanley Cup final far outweighed any concern about the layoff. Mm-hmm. That that was interesting. Uh, and and Boudreau, uh, who again, who I talked to this morning, thought that maybe the the Avalanche were too excited because they came out and they were great, but then <laughs> it looked like they almost ran yeah. out of steam uh, at at a certain mm-hmm. point during the game. Yeah, they were able to remedy that, I think, in the third period. There were a couple of shifts where they were able to hem in the Tampa Bay Lightning, but I'd agree in that they came out absolutely on fire in that first period, and they lost their game a bit in the second period. And you know what? This is a really big moment for a lot of those players. It's something you've been dreaming about for a long time now. Some place It's a place you've expected to be a couple of times and nothing can really replicate that first game in the Stanley Cup final. And, you know, the Colorado Avalanche had a lot of energy. Sometimes it, it works to your advantage, as it did for them in the first period. And sometimes it's it's something you've got to work through, as they had to in the second period to find their game again in the third. So do you think uh, Vegas feels bad, or sorry, uh, Tampa feels bad about what happened last night? Or are they pretty mm-hmm. good losing in overtime in game one? Yeah, I don't think Tampa's phased by any of it, to be honest with you. I think they'll look at it and they'll say, we didn't have our A game, we didn't have our best game by any stretch, and yet we were one goal away. You know, one one play, one bounce, one uh, converted two-on-one, of which Tampa Bay had a couple of really good looks that just didn't capitalize. Uh, If you're the Lightning, you feel relatively comfortable because you saw one of one of the most inspired periods of hockey you're going to see from Colorado in this series. You were able to weather the storm, get the game tied in the second period, and I think you have full confidence that you can win four of the next uh, six games. I thought it was, a, it was a fun game. I don't know whether we solved any of the goaltending questions. Uh, I think Vasilevsky can be better, <laughs> certainly. Uh, Darcy Kemper, yeah. oh, w- was it just rust or, or was it uh, something else? Yeah, I, I think he was just okay. I, I'm willing to chalk it up to rust. I mean, obviously, there's there's going to be a question of whether or not he's fully healthy. You know, the you obviously understand the eye injury, right? But uh, the the secondary upper body injury, not really having a full idea of what he was dealing with, it, it didn't seem like he was particularly comfortable last night. No, but, uh, the Avalanche made it so that he didn't have to be, and and that's kind of the the story coming out of it. I, I agree with you in that I don't think we're any closer to a like definitive decision on goaltending, and I don't feel particularly comfortable that, that Darcy Kemper is going to be the guy between the pipes when the series is over. Oh, you think there could be a change there? I I just I don't know that he's I don't know that he's 100%. Like I am willing to give the the Colorado Avalanche I'm willing to give Darcy Kemper the benefit of the doubt that it was just rust, but to me he didn't look comfortable and and you know when you start to get into that you start to question is is there something going on with with that injury is it recurring is it something where he's just not able to get into his normal rate of play and rhythm. So I, I don't know. Well, time will tell, but I didn't think that Darcy Kemper inspired a lot of confidence moving forward. Well, that's uh, something to keep an eye on because you were the Kemper uh, champion going into it uh, to start Darcy Kemper. Yeah. And uh, after watching what you did, uh, that's uh, that's a big move uh, for uh, one Ryan Wallace. Uh, I'm going to step out. Uh, I wish you uh, a very safe and happy rest of the show, and I'll talk to you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. All right, thanks, buddy. You See be you, buddy. safe, all right? Okay, buddy.
that that is the exit of Darren Millard done as smoothly as uh, they open up the the catching up with Chapman segment. Um, so Chapman, let's bring you on because obviously that's what happens when Darren leaves the show. We have time for you. We talk to Chris out. Chapman. Yeah. We're also going to get when Darren leaves. We bring in Chris Chapman. Yes, that's the proxy here. Um, Chapman, before before we dive into a little bit more on uh, the Stanley Cup final, I, I do want to just double check with you that we have three ice tickets to give away, and we're going to be doing that in just a few minutes. Is that a correct assessment of what we have to give away on the program today, Chapman? You would be correct in that assessment, yes. We have actually multiple okay, fantastic. pairs to so, give away, yeah. So we've got uh, two pair of Three ice tickets to give away. Say that three times fast. Uh, we'll be doing <laughs> that at various times at the remainder of the program, the remainder of hour number two. So listen in for your chance to win. Oh, Ryan, I, I have to make of- a correction here. These are mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. four okay. packs to give away. Ooh. So you can take the so whole family. So four packs to three ice. Yes, Four packs to three ice. That's what we have to give away, and we'll be doing that in just a few minutes. So keep your ears open for the phone number and get in on that. So, you know, I, I looked at last night's game, and, and I don't know about you. Let me get let me get your assessment on Darcy Kemper because, to me, I just didn't think he was comfortable. And, and I'm trying to, as, as Darren kind of threw the question out there, and I, I was going through it in my head, I'm trying to determine if that was rust or if there's something going on with that upper body injury that is making it so that Darcy Kemper just does not look sure-handed in the crease. What say you, Chris Chapman? Well, I'm going to I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and, and, and say it was Russ. I mean, it's been quite a while since he had played in a game. Um, obviously, the Avalanche had not played in a, in a real game in a long time. Um, so... You know, I, I, I think there's probably a little bit of rust, but it could be a combination of both. And I, 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 I'll be honest, I, I thought Colorado played well last night. I thought Tampa played pretty good. I, I'll be honest, I don't think Tampa, like you said, they're, they're not going to sweat it. But I think once Vasilevsky gets comfortable, I think Darcy Kemper or Pavel Francouz, whoever is the goalie for the Avalanche, are going to have to win the series for them. Because I, I, I feel like Vasilevsky, he, 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 he obviously gives up four goals last night. Maybe not what we expect from him, but as we have seen from him, especially this go-round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, as these series go on, Andre Vasilevsky becomes very, very difficult to put the puck past. And I just don't have that same confidence in the Colorado Avalanche, netminders, whoever it may be. Um, I thought Cam McCarr and, and Nathan McKinnon were really, really good last night. Um, you know, it seemed like they had a ton of free ice, and they they certainly took advantage of what Tampa gave them. They are two guys who absolutely fly up the ice, but I, I will stand firm in, in saying that I think Vasilevsky, he'll, last night was a throwaway. I think starting on Saturday, he will be a different goalie. And I, I, I really think for, for the Avalanche to win this series, they're going to have to have their goalie maybe not outplay Vasilevsky, but be pretty close to what Vasilevsky is because I don't see Tampa giving up a lot going forward. Well, I mean, the, 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 the fact of the matter is you have to picture Colorado winning games 2-1. to one. Right, like I, I think that that's what you're that's what you're saying. That's the direction that you're going. Is that you know 
4-3, maybe you get scores that high in the first couple of games of this series. But once Andre Vasilevsky's dialed in, he's nearly uh, unbeatable. You're, you're essentially looking at one or two, and that is it. So you're going to need your goaltenders to be one or two or less. And, you know, for Colorado, getting the first win, only needing three of the next potentially six games, that's important for them. But the Tampa Bay Lightning have this beautiful luxury of being able to rely on a goaltender that is nearly automatic when it's needed most. In elimination games, Andre Vasilevsky, there isn't a better goaltender. And if you're relying on a Darcy Kemper that is rusty and and, and is going to take some time to get his game at the top of its level, or Pavel Francouz, who came in, played well enough against the Edmonton Oilers, but then did not play particularly well in Game 4, was bailed out by his team. I don't know how many times Colorado's going to be able to bail out their goaltending, so that's really going to be the big key in this series, is if Vasilevsky starts to dial it up into another gear, can the Colorado Avalanche continue to bail their goaltending out? Because, Chapman, you say that they're going to need their goaltenders to win them a game or win them the series, I don't think that's possible. Like, I don't think Darcy Kemper or Pavel Francouz can win the series for Colorado. I think what has to happen is the Avalanche have to be able to, they, they need to bail out their goaltender enough times to win this series. And, you know, we'll see. They took advantage of, of a, an Andre Vasilevsky that wasn't at top form. Once that happens, they're going to have to win by bailing out their goaltending. Well, I, I think the one advantage Colorado has is if there is a team that has the capability to bail out their goalie, <laughs> it's this Colorado yeah. Avalanche team because they, they're absolutely loaded from, from top to bottom. I, I'm disappointed that, that obviously Kadri isn't there because I, I, I would have loved to have seen him have an opportunity to play in a Stanley Cup final and, and certainly contribute to helping his team win. Uh, I do think that's a big loss for them. I wasn't too concerned in the Edmonton series because I think... I've got news for you. What's that? I've got news for you on Kadri. He was skating today with a stick. Ah. Whether or not that translates to him playing in the next game or... It's a different story, Even in this series, I I do think that it it trends in the right direction. And to be honest with you, like if Colorado's at a point where it's not looking good and they need Kadri in the lineup, I think he's going to play. Yeah, I I, I agree Whether or not it's advisable. Whether yeah. or not it's advisable, I think he's going to play because it's a Stanley Cup final. You don't have many cracks at this. You don't have many opportunities at this as a player. So I would not be surprised if we see Nazem Kadri in this series as early as game number two. And that's the benefit of having an extra day between games. Kadri gets out there. He skates today with a stick in hand. Obviously had thumb surgery a couple a uh, week and a half ago. So whether or not he's able to grip that stick, that's the determining factor of whether or not he's going to play. And even if he can't, I still think he will. Yeah, I I, I think if he has the if he's at seventy five percent, I think he's playing because as you said, you you don't yeah. get many cracks at this. I mean, how many great players have we seen make a Cup final and then never get back? I mean, it, 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 Ovechkin being, I mean, he took advantage of his one opportunity, but he's never been back. As great as he is, mm-hmm. he's yeah. played in one. Yeah. So I, I, I think as, there, there's something different about hockey players for sure um, that, that they absolutely will, will play in the cup final if the opportunity is there and they're capable of playing. They don't even have to be 100% because nobody's going to be 100% this time of year, right? It's the old cliche. But yeah. I, 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 I just think if there is a team 
that has the ability to bail out their goalie, it certainly wasn't the Florida Panthers. It certainly wasn't the Edmonton Oilers. I do think the Colorado Avalanche are capable of doing that because they they, they just look like they're hungry. They're, they're, they're playing like a team that wants to, you know, it, I, I thought about some of the comments that McKinnon made about legacy and, you know, for, for us, right, the media, it, it, this will define his legacy to us. I think Colorado is kind of looking at this like, hey, we could be the team that wins multiple Stanley Cups now. This is our time, and we want to take advantage of this. We're hungry. We were really angry with the way things ended last year. I mean, hey, we all remember McKinnon's presser at the end of the season, and he he kind of flew off the handle a little bit. I don't think he wants to go back there. I don't think he wants to have to address the media if they lose this series. I could see these guys elevating their game even more. It's just a, it, it's it's such a dichotomy because you have a guy who, when it's all said and done, could very well end up being the greatest goalie to ever play the game on one end. Mm-hmm. And you have a yeah. team with unbelievable talent with a guy like Kale McCarr who, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a defenseman as young as him fly around the ice and, and have the skill that he has but also have the wherewithal to be a really good defenseman on top of it. So it's such an interesting series for so many different reasons. I'm hoping it goes seven. I'm hoping all the games are like last night, 4-3. Give me some overtime. I don't want to see 2-1 hockey, especially at this stage, unless the games are phenomenal, like guys making saves, like out-of-this-world saves. But I just don't think we're going to get that from Colorado. So... I'm excited because I feel like we've got six more games of what we saw last night. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the rest of the series looks like, but it was a big-time win for the Colorado Avalanche and one that and, and a, a situation for Tampa that they're not going to be phased by. I cannot wait for Saturday and game number two of the Stanley Cup Final, but if you are looking for something to do on Saturday, you're going to want to keep your ears Perked up right now. 702-876-1340 is the number. Caller number five. You have won tickets to three ice. That is a three-on-three tournament. Uh, We've talked about it. It's going to be at the Orleans Arena. 702-876-1340 is the number. Caller number five. You're a winner. We're back with Jesse Granger next on the VGK Insider Show. We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Congratulations to Christina, the winner of the three ice tickets. We've got more three ice tickets to give away. We'll do that after we talk to Jesse Granger. Joining us now with The Athletic is Jesse to get into some of the takeaways, his main takeaways from Bruce Cassidy's introductory press conference. Hey, Jesse, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Ryan? It was good to uh, be at a real-life press conference. Feels like it's been a while since we've done anything hockey-related in person. Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I was hosting the 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 press conference here on the radio, so I was not in the room with Bruce Cassidy. But just kind of give us the the inside scoop: what it felt like to be back in the room, kind of doing that media thing in person. It was good, yeah, and 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 Bruce was great. Um, one thing I've learned about <laughs> covering sports, and this is. This is the Golden Knights. This is back to when I was covering UNLV basketball and football during my college days and, and pretty much everything in between. It's that I've never been to a coach's introductory press conference 
where you left that room thinking he's not the best coach ever. Um, they, they are, <laughs> these press conferences have a way of, of uh, making you think the highest of this coach. But, but seriously, um, I, I think Cassidy said all the right things, and, and uh, mm-hmm. there are definitely a few things that he said that really interested me that, that kind of, I think, raised my optimism a bit on this hire. So give me one or two of those. Well, the power play. Um, I, it's, I'm yeah. literally in the middle of writing this story right now. I'm about to hit publish here in a little bit. But I think the fact that he got into the minutia of the power play mm-hmm. in his introductory press conference was shocking to me. Um, he, he, was, he even went as far as saying, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've got Jack Eichel, who's a right-handed shot, as my half-wall guy, and, and I'm used to having a left-hander mm-hmm. in Boston. And he's obviously talking about Brad Marchand. And... Not so much that that's a huge deal, but the fact that he's already thinking of things like that. He's already got ideas in his head swimming around about this power play. He mentioned that he wasn't the best hockey player. He, he had a cup of coffee in the NHL, um, but he said, I, when I did play hockey, my, my biggest strength was my vision, and I was pretty good on the power play, and that's kind of been something that I've, that I've taken an interest in, and he clearly has a lot of his focus as a head coach on the power play, which obviously Golden Knights fans are going to love hearing that. Um, not only the fact that he's so focused on the power play, but he mentioned he wants to get the puck in the hands of his forwards. He wants to create shots from the from from forwards rather than defensemen, and that's going to be a pretty big change for the Golden Knights. I was looking at it um, at the numbers, and last year the Golden Knights had 29% of their shots on the power play, shot attempts, come from defensemen. Um, when you look at the Bruins, it was only 13%, so not even half as much. Um, you look at Alex Petrangelo actually led the Golden Knights in shot attempts on the power play last year. Um, the, the Bruins didn't have a defenseman in the top five in shot attempts. So um, it's going to be a drastic change. We don't know exactly what they're going to run on the power play, but it's going to be a drastic change in where the focus on the power play is and where they're trying to generate shots from. So I think that's good news. And in a sense, like it leads into one of the other aspects of the power play that Bruce Cassidy was talking about, and that's being a little bit unpredictable for a Golden Knights team that their their main play outside of get the puck on a one-timer to Max Pacioretty was get it back to the point in the middle for a shot that's going to get blocked. Like allowing your your highly skilled, highly paid forward core that are elite, allowing those players to make plays closer to the net should create a little bit of, of leeway in just being a little bit more productive. Yeah, for sure. And he, and he mentioned another thing that he mentioned about the power play that I really liked was um, he talked about kind of negotiating with your players and building relationships yeah. with your elite players. Um, you can tell he had that in Boston with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand and probably David Pasternak to some degree. And he's going to be trying to do that from the moment he gets here today up until through training camp. He's going to be trying to Talk with Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, these guys that are going to be his elite power play guys, and he mentioned like he's going to tell them what he thinks runs the best on the power play. They're going to tell him what they think they do the best, and they're going to find a happy medium and try to find a way to get these guys as comfortable as possible. And when you're comfortable, you're confident, and when these guys are confident, they should be able to put up goals. With, these, with this roster, the Golden Knights are going to ice next year. There's no way they shouldn't have a very good power play. So... Um, it, easier said than done, but but I like I said, I liked what we heard from Cassidy today. 
Jesse Granger with The Athletic joining us here as we break down Bruce Cassidy's introductory press conference, the third head coach in Vegas Golden Knights history. Uh, you know, I, one, one of the things that, that I'm interested in when it comes to Bruce Cassidy, his system, is the, the nuance in maybe the neutral zone when it comes to defensemen. Like, with the Golden Knights, yes, Petrangelo, yes, Theodore, yes, White Cloud and Hag, like they had the green light to join the rush. But, you know, the 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 Bruins and Charlie McAvoy, when they were kind of at their most dangerous in terms of transition, the puck was on their stick, right? Like the puck on Shea Theodore's stick in the neutral zone leading transition. The puck on Alex Petrangelo's stick in the neutral zone leading transition. Like to me, from from that aspect, that's the one I'm most intrigued by because I think it maximizes the skill set of say a Shea Theodore. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Theodore and Petrangelo both are just so good at those outlet passes, those those first passes. And and I think D- Pete DeBoer's system really emphasized the, the offense from the defense. They they joined in, but they like you said, they didn't necessarily have the puck on their stick. They were the trailer. They were joining the rush. They were they were activating without the puck. Those sorts of things. I think getting the puck on those guys' sticks is going to lead to really good chances. I think, especially Shea Theodore, he knows how to thread that needle. Um, those those two line passes to get guys to spring guys for for odd man rushes and for breakaways. Um, I, I don't know how it's going to work out. It's, it's interesting. Cassidy definitely did not get the offensive production out of his defenseman that say a coach like Pete DeBoer did. Um, but he also, um, I mean. After Krug left, they, it was basically just McAvoy back there in terms of what yeah. uh, da- dangerous weapons on the blue line. So, so he definitely has different personnel to work with. It's going to be interesting to see because I think if you were to compare Cassidy's two teams, I think you'd probably give Boston the edge in the forwards. Um, um, their, their forwards are really good and really deep, and I think you give the Golden Knights the edge on defense. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. I asked him today, how much do you think it's going to change? Do you think this team's going to play this, a, a very similar brand of hockey to what you what you coached in Boston, or do you think you have to change it a lot based on the personnel here? And he said, we're going to take a lot of the things we did right, we're going to take a lot of the things that worked, and we're going to see what how, how we can match it to this team. So it's, it's going to be fun to watch in training camp um, if this is just kind of exactly what he ran in Boston or if he's going to tweak some things. You know, Bruce talked about accountability, and and I think one of the best lines today in the press conference was, if you don't have accountability, you don't have much. And, you know, my argument is when you've got a team like the Golden Knights who expect to win, right, just getting to the playoffs isn't good enough. Just getting to the first round or the second round, like that's not really what fuels this team or it shouldn't fuel this team. It's winning everything. And you need buy-in. You need accountability to push yourself past your already perceived limits. And that's what it's going to take to get the Golden Knights to reaching their expectations. So the fact that Bruce Cassidy day one is already talking about accountability and buy-in and how important that is, that to me is a good sign. Yeah, for sure. He he mentioned that he's already had a conversation with Mark Stone, um, already building that relationship between his captain. I keep bringing up Patrice Bergeron, but I think there are so many parallels to draw between the way Cassidy leaned on Patrice Bergeron. He mentioned it today. He goes, when when your player and your captain has the same message to his teammates as the coach does, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to get the players to buy into that. So um, I can't imagine having a player that a coach would like passing that message on more than, than Patrice Bergeron. And if there is one, it's Mark Stone. I think Mark Stone is that guy. I think he has the, the, the confidence in all of his teammates. He's the leader of that room. They listen to what he says. I think he and, he and uh, Cassidy are going to work together to, to build that accountability, to build that 
defense-first mindset. Um, I think that the fact that he goes from Patrice Bergeron, the guy that wins every Selkie ever made, to Mark Stone, <laughs> who is arguably the best defensive winger of this in the in the in the NHL right now, I think is a great transition for him both on the ice and and in terms of their personality. I think um, that's going to help him a lot. You know, Bruce mentioned that he believes he feels like his system is goaltender friendly. Walk us through that, buddy. Yeah, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I, I found that interesting also. And what, what, I, what I think he means and, and what I'm pretty sure he means by that is um, a lot. I think if you hear goaltender friendly, you immediately think, okay, so they don't allow shots. They don't allow high danger chances. Um, that's not the case. You're, this is the NHL. You're going to give up high danger chances. You're going to give up shots. I think what he means is his defense allows more predictable shots, meaning – um, you, you know where the shots are coming from. They're going to get their chances, but you know the soft spots in our defense because he, because he likes to play more of a zone. I mean, it's not strictly a zone. His defense is kind of man-to-man as the, def- as the team is coming into the zone, but once the other team has set up in the offensive zone and they start doing their cycling and they start really possessing the puck, um, in Boston they sat back in a zone, and, and essentially their players guarded areas of the ice rather than chasing people around the zone, and I think what that does is it lets your goalie anticipate what's going to happen a little bit better. There are, there's less scramble situations in front. You know where your coverage is. You know where your weaknesses are in the zone, so you, can ex- you know what shots to expect. And I think that's friendly for goalies, and I think it's even more so for Robin Leonard. I think Robin Leonard is a goalie who is built to play in a system like that because he's so good at anticipating. And when he does anticipate, he's so good at being square to the shooter, using his size, using his frame to take away the net. I think when Robin Leonard gets in trouble is when he doesn't predict where the play is going and he's forced to make an acrobatic second save or, or a, cro- a, a backdoor pass. I think that's where Robin Leonard gets into some trouble. So while Cassidy said goaltender friendly, I think he might as well have said Robin Leonard friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was kind of the the area, the idea that I was going with in in, in asking you that question is, you know, you, you allow predictable chances. Robin Leonard is going to show himself to be the goaltender. A lot of people expected the Golden Knights were getting when they made the trade for him. So uh, I, I yep. like the aspect of that. I like the idea of that. The other thing that that I, I think is interesting is a lot of the buzzwords of year one Vegas Golden Knights play with pace push the other team on their heels, uh, get up the ice in transition a five-man unit, try to score goals. Like All of the things that I think fans have been clamoring for since year one were kind of checked off in boxes today from, from Bruce Cassidy and his commentary. Yeah, I agree. And, but I, I will say, so I've, I've been very positive, and I think Cassidy's a good hire. I think he's a great coach. I will say mm-hmm. to temper some, some optimism, temper the expectations, <laughs> I do think that those are, that's partially just him saying the right things. I think coaches have certain words that they're going to use in an introductory presser, and I think that was part of that. Um, part of me is a, you know what, we'll, uh, part of me says, I'll believe they're going to play fast like that when I see it. Um, just because yeah. he's, he, he, he emphasizes defense so much. And you look at the Bruins over the last five years with him there, they've given up the fewest shots, the fewest scoring chances, the fewest expected goals, and the fewest goals in the NHL. They just don't allow anything. And when you play a style like that, especially a zone defense that's not exactly pressure built, it's kind of sit back and, and guard in waves. They've got to get through three of us to get to the goal type of defense. I think when you play that, it can lead to some slower games. 
The thing is, if you win, nobody cares. Um, <laughs> the, the, the Golden Knights fans would rather win three to one than lose six to five. So, as much as everybody would love a, a high pressure forecheck and an up and down, up tempo play, um, I don't know if that's the, the, the style of play. I think it'll probably be closer to what we've seen out of the Golden Knights the last couple of years than it will be to what we saw under Gerard Gallant, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Cassidy's going to be a little different here in Vegas, but I do think that it's definitely going to be defense first with this coach, um, similar to how it was with Pete. All right, last question for you before I let you go, and thank you so much for joining us here on, on short notice. Um, what is Kelly McCrimmon going to do with $5 million extra dollars out of the Evgeny Dodonov trade? Um, I think that right now, that clearing that space opens room to sign your RFAs. So there's four, there are four RFAs right now um, that were on the big club last year, and um, it's Nick Haig, Nick Waugh, uh, Keegan Colasar, and Brett Houghton. And at least two of those guys, the two Nicks, Haig and Waugh, are due for considerable raises. I mean, they were, they were playing on entry-level contracts, making basically nothing last year, and they're both probably going to get between two and four million. I would think four million is a little high for them, but, but you never know. Um, I think that space that they cleared for Evgeny Donov is going to give you room to sign those guys. I still have a sneaking suspicion that they are trying to re-sign Riley Smith. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think this team still has it in the cards that they believe they may be able to bring him back. If that's the case, it's going to require more salary to be moved out, though. This is definitely not enough to, to bring back Smith and the RFAs. It would definitely be one or the other. All right, great stuff as always, Jesse. Let uh, people know where they can find your stuff and what you're working on. Cool, yeah, theathletic.com. We've always got deals. Uh, I, like I said, I'm, I'm about to hit publish on this story. It is a deep, deep, deep dive into how Cassidy's power play performed in Boston, where the shots are coming from, who's taking them, and what it's going to look like here in Vegas. I know that's the main thing everybody's kind of worried about right now is the power play, so uh, go to theathletic.com to check that out. All right. Thanks so much, Jesse. Uh, maybe we'll chat with you sometime next week or, you know, the next time the Golden Knights make a trade or, or make any, any big announcement because, you know, more is coming this offseason. For sure. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. That is Jesse Granger with The Athletic joining us to give his thoughts, his, his insights, and his opinions on Bruce Cassidy's introductory press conference. But right now we've got more tickets to give away to 3ICE. That will be on Saturday, the Orleans Arena 3ICE. An exciting 3-on-3 three -three hockey tournament coming to Las Vegas. It kicks off this weekend on June 18th. 702-876-1340, 702-876-1340, caller number three, you're a winner. We're back next to wrap it up, catching up with Chapman. When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. All right, Ryan. Well, uh, topic of the day, or one of the topics of the day, was the trade of Evgeny Dodonov to the Montreal Canadiens. And I was checking out the Canadiens cap friendly and, and two things stuck out to me it's that Dodonov will be reunited with Mike Hoffman who I believe he played with in was it Florida that they may have played together and uh or I don't know if they played together in Ottawa or not but the Montreal Canadiens also have 10 draft picks in the first four rounds of this season's NHL draft and, and it's got me thinking I don't think I would want 10 draft picks in the first round or first four rounds, I should say, because there's a ton of pressure to hit on 
a good percentage of them. And the reality is there's a better chance you're going to miss on more of them than you will hit on. So uh, sometimes all those draft picks, not a blessing. We've seen a lot of draft picks throughout the years that have been high draft picks and they've never really amounted to much in the league. Uh, a couple of Edmonton's picks kind of stand out to me. But, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's it's just, I think there's just way too much pressure and a team that isn't very good to have that many picks. I, I, I think it's kind of a, a the opposite of a blessing. I think it's a negative. And uh, I guess we'll see in a few years on whether or not having 10 picks paid off. But I just I just don't think I would want my team to have that many draft picks in, in, the, in one draft. I mean, over the course of seven rounds, maybe. But mm-hmm. you factor in, they have four more picks after that. So they have 14 draft picks in this year's draft. According to you, Chris Chapman, how many do they have to hit on for this to be good? Well... I throw out generally the fifth through seventh round because I, I mean, look at that point, it, you're just basically taking a shot on, on on everybody. Granted, you're doing that with everyone. I would say with four picks in the first two rounds and seven in the first three, I think you probably have to hit on at least three or four. Like I'm not saying star players, but you have to get <laughs> players who are capable of playing in the NHL with with seven picks in the first three rounds. I mean, is, is is three or four a, a fairly... You you throw out the seventh round? Well, no, I don't throw it out, but I don't think there's as much pressure to hit in the seventh <laughs> round as there is in, say, the second or third. There's a reason a guy's no, falling to the not. seventh. Certainly not. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you probably want to hit him 50%. That's, that's where you start the number, but you got to get more. Tomorrow, Darren Millard, he'll be with us right here.